Welcome to the Fireman's Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and today we'll be talking about firearm instructor proficiency. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and the competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com business directory. Did you know that you can get a free listing for your instruction business on ConcealedCarry.com? Visit biz.concealedcarry.com and add your business for free. It will be searchable online and to potential students who use the ConcealedCarry.com mobile app. Claim your listing today. Today, we are joined by author, expert witness on the use of force, accomplished handgun competitor, retired law enforcement officer, and instructor, Masada Yoop. Welcome, Moss. How are things going for you today? Good to be here, brother. Great. I really appreciate you making uh, time for us because as uh, one of your loyal followers, I read a lot of the stuff that you talk about, and I think today's uh, topic is uh, very apropos because it aligns perfectly with why, the, why I've done this podcast that is to improve the proficiency of the instructors that are out there um a lot of different things uh, you know people get into it for a lot of different reasons but the real thing is we want to make sure that there's you know properly uh educated americans out there that can you know use a firearm appropriately and i think there's plenty of demonstrations of that uh going on all the time to where people haven't quite been educated properly on on how to how to use a firearm appropriately. So I think this topic's going to be good today. Yeah, we have a whole new wave of first-time gun owners who, because of the shutdown, were unable to take classes. And it's, it's a little bit scary, to tell you yeah. the truth. Yeah, and, and their only point of reference is uh, watching movies and seeing how you can you know, run and shoot and not run out of uh, ammo or anything else like that. So. It's, it's yeah. one of it's one of the really hard things I know when I'm teaching a class is to get people to really understand that it takes time and effort and skill to to uh, to be able to operate a firearm proficiently, for sure. Yeah, that's that's true. And teaching the deadly force side, as I do, you've also got a whole lot of myths you have to bust. Oh yeah, there's a lot of those all the time. Well, hey, Moss, let me ask you this. When it comes to proficiency for our listeners, what does that mean in your mind, proficiency for a firearm instructor? Basically, being able to relate to the students, to realize that, for the most part, we're in adult education. Uh, when you deal with the adult, you've got to explain why you're teaching a certain thing. The This is the doctrine, or I am the guru and you must follow me. Uh, you're, you're going to see it just shut down the learning circuits. You've got to explain here is this option and that option. Here are the pros and cons of this and the pros and cons of that. Here's why we recommend such and such a technique. Perhaps another technique is valid and may work better for you, and we'll share that with you. And every now and then, uh, you've got to tell somebody, no, the technique you were taught was complete BS, and here's why it's probably going to get you hurt. And you need to stop doing that. You're not allowed to do that on my range. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. 
And what what are some of the biggest deficits you see um, in instructors when they're trying to trying to teach topics? You know, firearms and even a whole, when it comes a to whole lot of folks make it make it more about the instructor than the material. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to follow the words of one of the best instructors who ever mentored me, uh, Bob Lindsay, the, the legendary super cop out of the New Orleans area. He said, never forget, you are not God's gift to your students. Your students are God's gift to you. Respect the student. Find out, I, I always uh, begin every class with a uh, uh, basically a class survey of what's their experience with firearms, what guns did they bring, what are they looking to get out of the class. And certainly that helps any instructor. You've, you've got to know your students, and the more of that you know up front, the, the better the class is going to go. Uh, the old thing of tell them what you're going to teach them, teach them, tell them what you taught them is absolutely true. Uh, key things do have to be needed, and, or, or key things have to be reinforced, repeated, is what I should have said. Uh, never make fun of the student. Never make fun of the student's gun. Teach them if there is another gun that will work better for them. Explain to them, here's why I would recommend you try this, and I think you'll be able to run it better than what you have. But never mock their equipment. Never mock them. It's it's always, you can do this better, and here's how. Uh, one thing we do on the deadly force side in particular, but also to a degree in the pure shooting side, is I make very heavy use of video lectures, and I do that for a number of reasons. And I've, I've been an instructor since 1972 with police, uh, started teaching civilians in 81. And I love doing it, okay? Uh, Virtually all of your listeners are doing it because they enjoy it. If they hated teaching, they would have found some way to get out from under it by now. And Mm -hmm. we enjoy being the one in the front of the classroom and interacting. The rationale of the video is twofold. You've got documentation, number one. And you've got consistency, number two. All of us who've been teaching for a while can remember leaving a class saying, damn it, I ran out of time and I didn't tell them X or I didn't cover Y. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Or we've been teaching something, maybe something we've taught for years, and somebody in the back row comes up with some fascinating question that never even occurred to us. And you know how that goes, Rob. The next thing you know, we're all discussing it. We're dancing down the primrose path together. We're doing the Socratic thing. And then the bell rings and we realize, crap, I ran out of time and I didn't cover what I was supposed to cover. Yeah. That last hour, we didn't get that covered. Then they're done that. Yeah. Doing it on video. If you've edited the video and you know, you've got it right. You know, this is the best I can deliver this material. Number one, every student gets you at your best. We've all had good days and bad days. We've all had the day when we felt like we were the reincarnation of Sophocles and we've all had the day when it's like, who the hell are these people and what do they want from me today? I've got a hundred things on my mind. The video guarantees they all get the best, the best that you can deliver until such time as the material changes or you find a better way to deliver it. So you've got that element of consistency. You always leave enough time at the end for live questions and answers. But the video format, if you've gone over it and you know this is the best I can deliver, it guarantees that nothing gets left out. And that's super critical when you're teaching deadly force. It's super critical when you're teaching firearm safety. The other thing that so many people miss 
is the documentation of training. Okay, the the reason on the expert witness side that we're winning so many of these cases is cop or civilian, we use the exact same strategy. We show the triers of the facts. The defendant did what they were trained to do, and what they were trained to do was, in fact, the right thing to do. Uh, that it falls within what the courts call the mainstream of common custom and practice for dealing with the particular crisis that you're teaching them to deal with. And ideally, we can show that they lived up to best practices, another buzzword of the courts. Now, for us to come in later and testify, yeah, here's what I told him. On cross-examination, you're going to go, well, Mr. Beckman, you've been teaching how many years now? And this student was there three years ago. And you're telling this jury you have total recall that you remember every single word you uttered in that lecture three years ago in Cleveland. And is it not true, sir, that perhaps the defendant during that critical part of the lecture might have been going to the bathroom or he might have been out taking an important cell call? And, of course, that's, any of us is vulnerable to that line of questioning. When you have the video, I can say, sir, here's the video the student saw. See for yourself. It's the best evidence. Now we've educated the jury. And it's, it's what makes the trained person so much more defensible than the self-taught. You have an authority voice from outside that can say, yeah, I taught them to do that, and here's why I taught them to do that, and here's why any competent instructor would have done that. And each time the jury hears that, it's another reinforcement, this person did the right thing. So um, key elements we, uh, we put on video. And also, quite frankly, uh, it protects the instructor if, you know, let's say there's some egregious safety violation later down the road, and the student shoots himself or shoots someone he shouldn't have shot and says, the instructor told me to do it that way. You have the proof. Look, here's what that student saw. And you can see I did not teach them to do that. But the main reason for it is to safeguard the student and be able to prove the student's competence later on. Good advice. I know one of the things that I've done uh, from your seminars is uh, always taken notes and I've uh, mailed them to myself, so I've at any point, if I need to be called upon to see what what I've learned in different uh, training sessions, I can open up those envelopes or turn them over, and they can be opened by the court to sh- see exactly what I was, uh, what notes I took during those times, and everything. Yes, we've we've been very strongly urging that for many years, and the strategy came from Michael Izumi, uh, I Z U M I. Uh, he's the author of the book In Self Defense. Uh, retired law enforcement instructor and absolutely brilliant guy. And basically, having that in a sealed envelope, we recommend that you send it registered mail, U.S. Postal Service, because it'll be sealed and, uh, and date stamped all over it. If anyone questions that, well, this is this training is some BS that the his hired gun lawyer and the lawyer's hired gun expert witness came up with to bamboozle the jury, that envelope can be opened in front of the jury literally signed, sealed, delivered, and dated by the United States Postal Service prior to the shooting and show beyond a shadow of a doubt these things were known to the defendant and were part of his mindset, part of his state of mind for which you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, are judging him now. Yep, that's uh, that's good. I hadn't heard of uh, Mr. Zimi. Izumi. Izumi. I-Z-U-M-I. Now I know where that came from. One of the things... Um, and when it comes to firearm skills, um, 
where do you think an instructor needs to be from a proficiency standpoint if he's just teaching a uh, basic CCW class versus when he's trying to teach that advanced instructor yeah. run and gun kind of class? He should be able to demonstrate competently what this technique looks like when performed correctly. Uh, I don't think you need to be the state champion shooter. I don't think you need to be the national champion shooter. But whenever I hear someone say, you don't need to be a good shooter to teach this, you just need to be a good teacher. I asked myself, if he was a good teacher, why couldn't he teach himself? Mm -hmm. Something wrong there in either the material or the execution of the techniques. Uh, uh, when, I, when I first went through instructor school in the early 70s, we were told, never shoot in front of your students. It's lose-lose, because if you shoot as well as you think you can, it's going to poison the experience for the top shooter in the class. The new shooters are going to think to themselves, oh, hell, I'll never be that good, and they'll lose hope. And if you screw up, you'll look like a bozo. And I remember that made sense to me. And for years, I did not shoot when I was teaching. Somebody, you know, except at the police department when we all shot, you know, uh, pretty much together. And, you know, people would say, well, when do we get to see you shoot? And I'd say, oh, that'll be when you go to the state championship, when you go to Bianchi Cup, when you go to second chance. We're not here to see how well I can shoot. We're see how well, here to see how well we can get you to shoot. Now, what changed me on that, and I'll never forget it, 1988, uh, I mentioned earlier Bob Lindsay, the, the super cop from uh, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. uh, at the very first meeting of ASLET, the American Society of Law Enforcement Trainers, uh, which was held in New Orleans, Bob lectured to us on what he called modeling, the adult education concept of the person who has seen the instructor do something has the mental image of it. And he talked to us about case after case where the officer's losing the fight, whether it's a gunfight or hand-to-hand. -hand. And later when debrief said, my mind's eye showed me my instructor showing how to get this guy's hands off my throat. And I did what my, my mind's eye showed me the instructor doing, and I prevailed. And Rob, I swear to God, it's been more than 30 years since I, I felt a cold chill go down my back. And I thought to myself, mother of God, what have I done? And the next class I taught after that, ever since, I made a point of demonstrating this, demonstrating that. Uh, before they shot the qualification, uh, do what I call a pace setter. Uh, again, that, that adult ed principle of modeling. If you're asking people to perform certain techniques, if they've seen someone do it the way you want them to do it, right before they do it themselves, it gives them kind of a mental template of, of stance, of, of position. Uh, if there's going to be fixed time, as there always is when we shoot qualification at the end of one of my courses, it, it kind of lets them set the internal clock. And I noticed immediately after I started doing that, fewer students shooting too fast and getting bad hits, uh, fewer students taking too long and not getting their shots off. So, yeah, you need to be to be able to demonstrate. If, if you can't demonstrate it, you know, you, there, there are certain things you won't be able to do. Now, when I was in my 20s, I could demonstrate any kind of kneeling, low-cover, contorted position there was. Uh, as the arthritis got hold of me, and by the time I reached my 70s, I can't show a really, really, really good low kneeling. So what I'll generally do is say, all right, here is high kneeling. Now here is 
oh, poor old cripples like me have to do low kneeling. But if you do this, this, and this, you can get lower behind smaller cover. And I'm going to have my flexible young assistant over here come over here and demonstrate that. Mm -hmm. Or if I've got a journeyman instructor working with me, I'll just have them do the whole demonstration while I talk. And uh, basically, obviously, know your own limitations. But if you can't do it, how the, if you can't teach yourself to do it, how the hell are you ever going to teach a whole separate human organism? Mm -hmm. And in line with that, one of my pet peeves, I, I, you know, I figured out early, I figured out when I was a kid, if you don't read, you can't write, and if you don't learn, you can't teach. So I take as many classes as I can still. And I still to this day hear instructors say, you're not here to compete against the others. You're here to compete against yourself. And Rob, I, I just almost have to put a hand over my mouth. I, I don't gig other instructors, especially in front of their class. But whenever I heard that, I wanted to go, you know, time out, coach. I took a week out of my life. I gave you all this money to teach you to be, for you to teach me to be better at this than another man who's trying to kill me. And now you're telling me my skills compared to others don't matter. By that standard, masturbation would make you sexually active. So we encourage from the first day, uh, we let them know when they shoot their qualification, everybody's going to throw a dollar in the pot uh, for, a, for a high team and a dollar in the pot for a high individual. And one of you is going to take the money. Now, our staff is going to do a demo first. And I want you focusing on whichever of those people doing the demo is closest to you in physical build, physical attributes. What, the targets will still be there later for, for us all to look at afterwards. Watch the shooter, not the target. Uh, whatever score I shoot, uh, if I beat you, you don't owe me a damn thing. Hell, you paid for the class. But if you tie my score, it's an autograph buck that says you tied me at my own game. And if you beat the old guy here, it's an autograph five that says you beat me in my own game. And that cost me some money every year, but it's a hell of a motivator because since I've been doing that, the scores went up. Mm -hmm. And it teaches them to be, you know, I tell them it, as you go forward, consider competition. Okay, maybe you didn't get out of this as a sport. Uh, maybe you don't aspire to be national champion. But shooting in competition is kind of a pressure laboratory. I have lost count over the years of the number of cops, soldiers, and armed citizens who felt that having shot in competition was one of the big things that allowed them to prevail because it had, it had conditioned them to run the gun under pressure when something in the back of their head was screaming, this is it. I told them, you know, it's not about winning. It's about knowing you can do it under that kind of artificial pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you're familiar with uh, Jim Cirillo, the famous NYPD stakeout squad gunfighter. Mm -hmm. uh, we were friends. We met in the early 70s uh, while he was still on the stakeout squad, in fact. And I learned a great deal from Jim over the years. And uh, he and I were uh, shooting on the same squad at the first Bianchi Cup in 1979. And I'll never forget it because it was such a life lesson. We're walking down the hill at uh, Chapman Academy where they held it. Uh, walking across a little bridge that separated the, uh, the barricade match from the, the other matches. And Jimmy said, Jesus Christ, I never felt stressed like this in any of my gunfights. I said, Jimmy, why do you think that is? He said, because all these people, there weren't all these people watching us, and there wasn't all this time to build up to it. 
but he felt his partner, Bill Allard, uh, who I also learned a lot from, the one guy in the stakeout squad who killed more men in face-to-face gunfights than Jimmy, uh, both said that without question, their shooting in competition uh, is one of the things that kept them alive when they had fractions of a second to get a set or hit before mm-hmm. the other guy pulled the trigger. So what I told him is it's, you're not getting into it to win the trophies. You're getting into the competition, and you'll be forced to do some here when you shoot your call to understand something is riding on it, to get the mental, the mental plan that every time this thing is in my hand, something rides on it. I'll be rewarded for doing well with it. I'll be punished for doing poorly with it. So that's one thing I found was very much a motivator for, for instructors to you know, get the students fired up to focus on what they were doing, do what you told them to do, and do the best job of it they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's really key about doing that and being under stress is knowing what your limitations are, because you might mm-hmm. be a young person where you can go along and do things extremely fast, or you could be, you know, up in the, up in the years a little bit and knowing how you should be approaching somebody who might be faster than you are, um, versus, you know, versus just trying to beat, beat them at, at their own game and trying to see who can draw, draw the fastest. And those, those things would be really important to know and understand um, prior to any kind of violent uh, conflict. The, the history of it is uh, the first loud noise doesn't usually win the fight. The first center hit uses, is what wins the fight once the shooting starts. Mm-hmm. I think yep. that's almost a universal observation. And know thy limitations uh, for it, because uh, as long as you stay, work within those, you'll probably prevail, which is really good. Uh, you know, the, the competition also kind of teaches you, here's what I need to be working on, you know, possibly movement, possibly tactics, possibly cover, possibly, mm-hmm. whoa, I need more weekend-only practice, things of and, that nature. And you get to try it over again at the next match and try exactly. it over again. I, I have yet yeah. to uh, hear about any uh, shootouts that went along and had a, had a redo on it, you know? <laughs> yes. But basically, that's why I call it a laboratory. If the experiment failed on uh, in March, uh, maybe the alternate approach will work better for you in April. And lock that into your brain and keep it in what I call the mm-hmm. front pouch of your, your tool bag. Yeah. And you can also cheat and watch what everybody else is doing too, which might give you some clues on what you can do to be a little faster or a little bit more efficient in everything that you're doing. Yeah. I told them if at all possible, uh, when you go to a match, get yourself squoted with some of the better shooters and you, you may well learn more watching them than you learn from your own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You know, we talked about firearm skills, but sh- what what are your suggestions for instructors when it comes to improving their um, legal understanding? Obviously, most of the people listening to this podcast are not lawyers, but at the same time, when we're dealing with concealed carry and different topics like that, obviously, we need to make sure that we can at least point the students in the proper direction uh, to stay legally safe. Well, I'd, I'd recommend basically three sources uh, for just uh, videos for those who can't travel to attend uh a specific deadly force instructor class, uh, joining uh, Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, uh, armedcitizensnetwork.org. Uh, you have, of course, the post-self-defense uh, legal support that you're really buying it for. But you also get eight or nine uh, training videos from people who are recognized in their specific areas of, of armed self-defense. 
And that's stuff that uh, you can pretty much take to the bank. Uh, as far as uh, training deadly force instructors, there are two schools. Uh, Andrew Branca, B-R-A-N-C-A, uh, has his Law of Self-Defense classes and Law of Self-Defense instructor class, I believe. And you can access all that information at lawofselfdefense.com. Uh, you definitely want to read his book, which is also titled Law of Self-Defense. Uh, the other is uh, my school, Masada Youth Group. Uh, next Monday through Friday, we'll be doing a five-day deadly force instructor course in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, hosted by John Coria from Active Self-Defense. And we'll be training a few dozen instructors there in how to get these points across, how to make sure your student actually left understanding. Uh, brief digression on deadly force, I always use a, a fairly extensive written exam that's another documentation that they knew when they could and when they couldn't. And uh, we work with different teaching techniques on it, uh, how to handle the different what-ifs, et cetera, et cetera. And we even include a moot court segment. And we generally do that. Uh, this year, we're doing it twice a year. Uh, we'll be doing another one uh, in the fall at Firearms Academy of Seattle, run by Marty Hayes, who is my co-instructor in the Deadly Force Instructor classes that we do. It'd be really nice courses. Unfortunately, I know I can't make next week's course, but uh, I may look up to see if uh, if uh, I'm available to make it up there to Seattle uh, this fall for because that would yeah, be it's a beautiful area. Be be a great thing to be able to say I've, I've attended that uh, that course for him. We've had uh, Andrew Bronk on before. He he's uh, been a wealth of information uh, for us. Oh, he certainly is. Uh, so. So that's really great. Well, Moss, I know the time's been running really, really fast. And uh, unfortunately, we're kind of getting to the end of the time. Um, got a quick question for you. Sure. You share with our instructors and listeners what books or websites, what you're reading to try to improve yourself this year. Well, uh, one of the websites, of course, Andrew Branca, uh, every week has multiple uh, uh, podcasts, uh, all of which are very elucidating. And again, your source for that is lawofselfdefense.com. Uh, recent books, uh, Tom Gibbons' book, Concealed Carry Class, uh, just came out from, I believe, Gun Digest Books. And it's absolutely outstanding. Um, it doesn't replace uh, taking one of Tom's classes. And he's, he's simply one of the best self-defense shooting instructors we've ever had. Uh, but it gives a real good leg up. And it's a real good standard textbook for... Uh, for your instructors to be using in their self-defense classes. And the Gun Digest folks will give you a really good break on volume purchase uh, to pass on to your students. Uh, Ralph Rose, M-R-O-Z, uh, was, uh, until his recent retirement, one of the you know most, most logical voices of reason in the area. And what he's done, he's put a bunch of his writing together uh, available online. And uh, if you go do a Google search for Ralph Rose, M-R-O-Z, uh, you'll be able to access some of that. Uh, from my end, I've got about 20 books out there, all of which you can get from Amazon. Uh, Deadly Force is the, uh, the one that focuses most on judicious use of lethal force. And uh, just during the COVID epidemic, when everything was shut down, I finished the seventh edition of Gun Digest's uh, Book of Combat Hand Gunnery, uh, which covers, you know, both the mental side, the legal side, and 
you know, the, the hardware side and the shooting skills side. And that will be coming out uh, later this year, hopefully in time for Christmas, from uh, Digest Books, Gun Digest Books. Uh, our school uh, has, uh, I think, a pretty complete website explaining uh, what we offer and where we offer it. We're pretty much everywhere around the continental U.S. And uh, that is masadayubgroup.com. That's M-A-S-S-A-D-A-Y-O-O-B group.com. Well, that's uh, really good. And I was looking at that earlier and noticed that you're all the way up in New Hampshire, down to Florida, Texas, and then obviously up to Washington State. So there's, uh, yeah, there's places around. California, the heartland, we pretty much cover the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many? Sadly, how many? our Alaska host moved away. But. <laughs> I mean, how many days do you travel a year normally? Uh, most years uh, when we don't have a pandemic. <laughs> uh, I'm actually on the road teaching more than I'm at home. But all people are supposed to travel, so what the heck? I'm fulfilling mm-hmm. my destiny, I guess. Yeah, well, I know I'm uh, I end up traveling for work from time to time, and it's uh, it's fun to the point, but then it's like, okay, what hotel am I in, in tonight? Just uh, yep. give me the card and, and let me go in and, and get some sleep, and I'll be out on the road tomorrow doing it all over again. Amen, brother. Uh, but if you love what you're doing, you never have to work a day in your life. Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you get to see a lot of lot of the country too, which is always uh, one of my favorite things. Is uh, appreciate well, what we've got in this country. It gives you perspective. Uh, between the police seminars and the travel, I get to touch bases with a lot of cops in a lot of places, and stay in touch with current trends on both hardware, uh, where the where the lawsuits are going, where the criminal trends are going. Uh, what we're in is. Now, it's not like teaching math. It's not like we're teaching an absolute science. We're in an evolving art and science. So it's the classic example of as soon as you think you have all the answers, some SOB changes the questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is for sure. And uh, it's, I've always been told if a uh, criminal element put as much effort into, the, into their craft, into an honest job, we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have all the criminals out there running around, but. That is probably true, my friend. You know, they are inventive in how they get around uh, any type of uh, technology or you know locks, all those kind of things. Uh, very in- inventive. Uh, uh, before we go, I neglected to mention one other thing. Masada mm-hmm. uh, Group uh, includes uh, David Malio, M-A-G-L-I-O. Uh, Dave is a retired cop, champion shooter, uh, now teaching full-time. And he took our shooting side, the shooting side of what we do, the system I call stress fire. And he made a, uh, the curriculum for a stress fire instructor course for the pure self-defense shooting side of it. Uh, we've been getting rave reviews on that. And, uh, again, masadayubgroup.com will have the link to David Malio for that. And he has an intensive shooting course that he calls MAG-30. And we've been getting rave reviews from the students on that. Uh, final point, I guess, on, uh, on teaching tips. Always use critiques at the end. Always give your students evaluations. Uh, when I go to a class and they don't ask for an eval, it, what I hear them saying is, hey, we know we're the best there is in the world and we can't improve, so what the hell do you students have to say about it? Uh, the students are the reason we instructors are there. 
and the critiques that they fill out on us are our quality control on ourselves. And I think that that's every bit as critical as the questionnaire I give the students at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know who they are, but by the end, I want to know how our material impacted them. What can we be doing better in terms of everything from venue to, to presentation to timing? Definitely. That's uh, great advice. And uh, I will include links to the books, websites and such in the show notes for anybody who's happens to be driving while they're listening to this and uh, can find all that stuff uh, easily in the show notes. So that's great. Well, thank you again, well, Moss, thank for, you. Uh, for Thank your time. you, Rob. And thanks all your listeners. They're, they're doing righteous work out there teaching people to be safe. Definitely. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We've got a few requests for our loyal listeners. Share this episode on Facebook and on other social media. Encourage others to listen and subscribe. Like and rate our podcast and check out the other concealedcarry.com network podcast. If you have any ideas for episodes, questions, feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Be proficient, everyone, and stay safe out there. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.